This week, an article came out on Tuesday from Fox News, and Bruce Husby, one of our pastoral staff members, sent me the article. The title of the article is Muslim Converts Breathe Life into Struggling European Christian Churches. It was a really encouraging article. I wanted to share some of it with you. It begins this way. Christianity is making a comeback in Europe, and it's mostly thanks to Muslims, say experts in Islam and faith leaders. A soaring number of Muslims, many of them refugees from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, are converting to Christianity, breathing new life into Europe's once floundering Christian churches. The Muslims are flocking to various Christian denominations, experts said, including becoming Protestants, Evangelical, or Catholic. As many parts of Europe are becoming more secular and houses of worship are seeing congregants leave in droves, it is Muslim converts who are reviving struggling Christian churches. The article goes on to explain some of how that's happening. The average Muslim newcomer in Europe experiences a tremendous amount of societal pressure. They experience racism, poverty, exclusion, discrimination, language and cultural barriers, and a deep sense of displacement. Their sense of homelessness is not only geographical, it's also spiritual. Churches who offer these Muslims real and meaningful hospitality are seeing some surprising results. Germany received nearly 900,000 asylum seekers in 2016. The majority was from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, according to published reports. Churches in Berlin and Hamburg were faced with so many asylum seekers wanting to convert that they held baptisms in municipal swimming pools. The article goes on to tell the story of a man who calls himself Johannes. It says, an Iranian man told the Guardian that he moved to Austria because he tried to convert in his homeland but was frequently harassed for doing so. The man said that one time as he left a Bible class in Iran, he and others who had been in his study group were attacked. This refugee, identified only as Johannes, said that conversion is so frowned upon in his homeland that only his sister knows about his decision to become a Christian. A religion that began with violence cannot lead people to freedom and love, Johannes said, explaining his disillusionment with Islam. Jesus Christ said, those who use the sword will die by the sword. This really changed my mind. That article just came out on Tuesday. I'm sure you can still find it if you would like to. When I read it, I threw away the sermon that I had written on Monday, (laughs) and I felt the Lord say, write a different sermon. Because I think that article demonstrates the truthfulness of a claim that Paul makes in Romans chapter 15, a claim that I would like us to look at together today so that we might be encouraged at what God is up to and that we might hear an invitation from him to join him in what he's doing. So please, if you will, take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 15. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you and in those Bibles... It's page 922. As you're turning to Romans 15, let me remind you that the whole book of Romans is essentially an expanded form or presentation of the gospel. 
this good news that is creating such amazing things happening in Europe with Muslim converts right now, the book of Romans is designed to be an explanation of the gospel. Now, there is a shortened form of the gospel that appears early on in the book of Romans in the first few verses. And the basic form of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord over all the universe. That's the good news, that God did not leave Jesus in the grave, that when Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago, God raised him from the dead and appointed him Lord over all things. That is the gospel. The book of Romans, however, goes into greater detail to explain in more expanded form this good news, the good news that is currently changing what's happening in Europe and in the Middle East. In chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Romans, God tells us that the problem is human sinfulness, our own pride, our own selfishness, and we see this being played out on a global scale. ISIS and the problems, the chaos that we're having in the world and terror and fear and death and destruction, that's simply sin being played out on a global scale. But what's happening on a global scale is also happening in us individually. It may look different, but here in West Michigan in our own lives, the problem is our walking away from the Lord, our disobeying God, choosing to go our own way. And so Romans 1 to 3 says, look, the problem is us. But the good news in the middle of Romans 3 and in chapter 4, God chose not to treat us the way our sins deserve, but instead sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to be an atoning sacrifice, meaning through Jesus, God has provided a way for us to make amends for our sins, to be forgiven, to have all of that chaos and all of that death and all of that problem erased and forgiven and forgotten. Because of that, we can have peace with God. That's what Romans 5 is about. That you and I, through Jesus, can actually be a son or a daughter of God. That God is good with us. That he's pleased with us. That we are in a right relationship with God. Romans 6 through 8 talks about the fact that this gospel, this good news that Jesus has been raised from the dead, sets us free from enslavement to sin and to our own desires, the cravings of our own flesh, and that God, through Jesus, has given us his spirit to lead us and to guide us and to bless us and to encourage us and to give us assurance. In Romans 9 through 11, Paul talks about the fact that God, through the gospel, is changing human history in accordance with the plans that he's laid out thousands of years ago, and that what's going on with Jews and Gentiles, what's going on with Muslims and Europeans, what's going on in the world today is part of a bigger plan of God, whereby the gospel is going forward and is transforming and changing human history for eternity. Romans 12 through 15, we're given the opportunity that because of God's incredible mercy and because of his love for us, we have the opportunity, those of us who are believers in Jesus, to offer back to God the love language that he desires, which is our living sacrifices, to take our lives and stop living for selfish desires and for our own pride and our own achievement and our own self and instead give ourselves wholly to God so that through our lives the gospel might go forward in who we are and what we're doing. All of that brings us to Romans chapter 15, the second half of the chapter. 
Here Paul is talking about God's plan for the gospel to go into the whole world and he includes a way for you and I to participate with the gospel, to be part of what God is doing in changing human history and in rescuing people. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 33 today, but there's one verse that I want you to get more than any other. And that if you understand nothing else that I say today, it's this verse I want you to see and hear and believe by faith. It's verse 21. Rather, as it is written, and this is a quote from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. What Paul is doing is he's talking about the success he's experienced in sharing the gospel, and he is attributing that success not to his winsome personality, not to his evangelistic abilities, not to rhetorical devices, not to his ability to be able to argue, not to the fact that he lives in a special time or in a special way. He's attributing what's happening in the advance of the gospel to the fact that this has been promised and predicted by God in the Old Testament, that God said before Paul was ever born, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And Paul is realizing as he looks at the gospel going forward in the very first generation, this is being fulfilled in our hearing. That's what this article is talking about. This is the evidence. God has promised and sworn that those who have not heard will come to believe. You may not understand how crazy what that article is talking about is saying. You may not know that for years, we as a church in the West have been praying for countries like Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan, and that these countries appeared hopelessly closed to the gospel, that it was very difficult for anybody in those countries to openly express their faith in Christianity. It was very difficult for anybody in those countries to come to faith, and that for a long time it seemed like nothing was happening in those closed countries. At the same time, especially in America and other places in the world, we've been praying for Europe because there was a growing secularization, there was a growing apathy towards Christianity and people were turning towards self instead of to God. And now God is taking Muslims from the Middle East and sending them into secular Europe and saving both of them in the process. Who would have ever imagined something like that? It's mind-blowing to me. Look, this is Fox News. This is not Christianity Today. This is Fox News, a secular news source, simply reporting on what's going on, that in Germany, they've got so many people coming to faith, they've got to rent swimming pools to baptize them all. And listen, we can attribute to the truthfulness. We've sent teams to Greece and to Germany, and we've seen firsthand what's going on. It's amazing. Who would have predicted it? Well, God. That's what it says. Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. It's jaw-dropping to me. It's predicted by God. This is what he said will happen. And if I can be so bold, 
it's not only happening in Paul's day, not only happening today in the most impossible circumstances in secular Europe with Muslim converts, it's also happening in Grand Rapids. I see it happening not only at Calvary Church, but also in East Grand Rapids, the community that I live in. And I'm watching the Lord do things and lead people to faith that I never thought would ever come to faith. And I'm blown away by the fact that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in really powerful ways right here in West Michigan. What Paul is saying is you shouldn't be surprised. It has been promised from the Old Testament. This is how it will work. Look, those who were not told about him will see. It doesn't say those who were not told about him will be told. That's true. But it says those who were not told about him will see. In other words, the gospel will be successful. It doesn't mean that everybody will become a Christian, but what's happening in Europe with Muslims and with secular Europeans, what's happening in Grand Rapids, Michigan, what's happening in my hometown of East Grand Rapids, that's a fulfillment of a promise that God has made. And please, if you get nothing else out of anything I say this morning, understand that when it comes to what God is up to, he is at work, and great things are happening. And the point of this morning is, you and I are invited to come along. We're invited to participate. God is going to lead people to faith who have never heard and who have never seen. He is going to take people out of the most incredibly difficult and dark circumstances. He is going to take people who are in closed countries or who live in the most secular possible ways. He is going to take people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol or are confident in their own abilities or confident in their own intelligence. He is going to take such people who are rich and successful and seem to have everything that they need or whose lives have completely fallen apart. He is is going to take such people and bring them to faith. They will see. And the invitation is, why not come join him? And I want to just tell you up front, you have an invitation, and I'm going to explain to you how. But verse 21 is promising you success. Not because of your winsome ability, not because of your training, not because of your willingness or your energy. You and I are promised success because God has said, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And God is faithful to his word. Even if we are unfaithful, he will be faithful and he is fulfilling this promise. And the invitation to you and I today is, why not come along? Why not jump in and participate? What is going on is epic history-making kinds of things, and the invitation is come join God in what he's doing. Well, that raises the question, how? How can you and I participate in what God is doing in the world with regards to having those who cannot see or have not seen coming to faith? I'm going to give you four ways from this passage. The first way you and I can participate, look at verse 16, and look for the first full sentence in verse 16. Paul's speaking here, and he says, God, he, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. The first way that you and I can be involved is we can share the gospel with people around us. Now listen, I know for many of you, your first response to that is a response that I am well aware of and very familiar with. It's a response that says, that's not me. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to do that. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to start a conversation. Please, whatever he does, Lord, don't let him ask me knock on somebody's door. I know the feeling. I know the fear. I understand it. You may even be saying, but look, it says Paul did signs and wonders. I'm not doing any signs and wonders. You need that kind of power to get people's attention. That's not me. What are the other three? I'm going to skip number one. But notice what he says. Paul says God did this through the power of the Spirit of God. Not through his training, not through his winsome personality, not through anything that he was capable of doing in and of himself. As for the signs and wonders, the New Testament is very clear. The greatest, most unambiguous sign in existence is not someone being raised from the dead. It's not lame being able to walk. It's not blind being able to see the unambiguous sign according to Jesus himself is the transformed life. That's the sign that Satan can never counterfeit. It's the sign that only God can do. So, imagine that you've been following along with us in the book of Romans. Imagine that you've been coming here and you've been listening and you've been trying to put into practice the things that God is saying from uh, this book. And imagine that you were here three weeks ago when we talked about time and the fact that time is wonderful, but it can be a stumbling block and that productivity can be an idol. And maybe you heard the Lord speaking to your heart a word of conviction and you went home and obeyed and did what we asked you to do, which was pray and invite God into the process of thinking through your schedule. Imagine that you went home and did that, and as you prayed through, Lord, help me with this schedule. I need to bring it under control. You kind of felt the Lord prompting in your heart that it's the messages and the emails and the constant work 24 hours a day that's really getting at you. And so between you and the Lord, you sort of prayed and worked out, you know what? I'm going to limit responding to emails and work stuff and that thing for one hour a day. I'm going to do my work, but say from five to six every day or whatever it is. That's when I'm going to respond to email. Now, suppose that you've done that, and you decide, well, i got to notify my coworkers and my friends, like, this is my new policy. I'm going to try the best I can. If you don't hear from me uh, up until 5, uh, that's because I'm trying to check my emails and do all the emailing at once and keep it contained in that block of time every day. Well, imagine that one of your coworkers or friends says to you, huh, that's interesting. Where did you get that idea from? Now imagine that you respond, well, to tell you the truth, I was in church three weeks ago, and the sermon was about time, and it was about how productivity can become an idol, and as I listened to the sermon, I felt this conviction that I need to do something about my schedule. And in the service, I was told that God would help me do this, and so I went home and I prayed about it, and this is the plan that God and I worked out together for me. 
Other people may do what they want to do, but this is something that I felt the Lord came and helped me come up with. Now, you might get someone who just kind of glazes over at that point, or their eyes roll back in their head, and the conversation's done. Fine. You might get someone who says, you and God worked this out? How does that happen? To which you can simply respond, well, one of the good things about being a Christian, it's not sort of a religion of rules. It's an idea of a relationship. And when you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit to live within you and to lead you and to guide you. And I just had the sense that as I was praying and working through this, that this was what God was asking me to do. You can even go so far as to say, you know what? All this workaholism, it was bad in my family. It was messing up my life. I found myself consumed by these kinds of things, and my life was spiraling out of control, and I'm so grateful to God that he helped me get a hold of this. Do you know what you've just done? You have shared the gospel. You've actually preached Romans in reverse. You started in Romans 14, which says... Work things out between you and God, and then you moved backwards into Romans 8 to talk about the fact that God gives us his spirit. You moved backwards into the beginning part of Romans to talk about the fact that God sent Jesus to save us from the chaos of death, including the death of out-of-control schedules. You've just preached the gospel. Paul's point is, look, it happens in the power of the spirit. All you got to do is open your mouth and give God the chance. All you have to do is say, I changed my email schedule because of God. If he's not going to walk through that opening, that's his choice. But that's all you have to do. And the promise of verse 21, you're going to say that to somebody. That God has decided that though they have not been told yet, they will now see and that will be an opening that he uses. Now, if you'd like to know more about that, if you'd like to know more about how, to, how you can share your faith, if you'd like to know more about how you might be able to do that, after the service today, there'll be people down front. You just simply come down front and you say, hey, look, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I'd like somebody who might pray with me or encourage me about that. But the first way that you and I can be involved with what's going on, we can actually share the gospel with people around us. Number two, Verse 24, Paul says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you, he's writing to the church at Rome, while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now when we hear Spain, we think of, well, here's this European country with this long sort of Christian history. But you gotta remember, this is the first century in Spain in the first century, no one's ever heard of the name Jesus before. Paul's making that point in this passage. And the idea is, is there are no Christians in Spain. Paul's headed there as a missionary. And the church in Rome is going to assist him on the road to get there. They're going to provide hospitality for him. They might provide some money for him, some assistance, some encouragement. You and I can still do that today. The second way we can be involved is assisting those that God is calling to go onto the mission field. While it's absolutely wonderful that 900,000 Muslims have come to Germany, there are still 2 billion people 
who do not have access to the gospel, who live in this world, many of them in closed countries, and it's still necessary for God to raise up people and to send them to go into those countries. This morning, at the end of the sermon, we're going to commission a young family from our church, Tanner and Kelsey Van Oss, and they are leaving this week to go as missionaries to India, doing exactly what Paul was doing. They need people to come alongside of them and support them, encourage them. They need people who will pray for them, who will care for them, who will keep up with what's going on in their family. Just like Paul going to Spain, he's going there all alone. This family is going to a region of the world in which there aren't very many Christians. (laughs) And they're uh, they're going there to share the gospel. The second way you can get involved, and I promise you, when they go, they will run into some people who have not been told about him, but will see, and who have not heard, but will understand. You and I can participate in that process by befriending them and helping them on this journey. And they're not the only ones. There's others in the congregation that the Lord is raising up currently and calling to go to the mission field. There are those who are already on the mission field who need people back here who will pray for them or send them a care package or support them. You can get involved by doing those kinds of things, assisting them as they go onto the mission field. If you'd like to know more about that, come down front after the service. We'll have people down here. It's the same people, by the way. We'll have people down here, and you just simply say, you know, that assisting piece, that really hit my heart this morning. Great, that's all you have to say. And then we can talk you through what are some ways that you might be able to be involved. Number three, and share the gospel You can assist others who are going to the mission field. Verses 25 to 29, you can give. Verses 25 to 29 are about the fact that Paul is taking up a collection, a monetary collection, to help people in Jerusalem who are in the midst of a famine. And part of what Paul knows is, if you care for people's physical needs, that is a beautiful demonstration of the gospel. You still got to say the words, Jesus is raised from the dead, but you got a much better audience, people are better able to hear when their bellies are full. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm taking up a collection to help people who are struggling in Jerusalem to help meet their financial needs so that the gospel might be proclaimed in word and in deed. Well, you just saw a video. In Grand Rapids, Calvary Church is sort of leading an effort with other churches in this city to create a Muslim friendship center. And the idea is, look at what's going on in Europe. Did you not hear that article from a secular news source saying the genuine Christian hospitality that's being offered to Muslims is helping them come to faith? And the question I have is, why not here? Why shouldn't we do that? Well, as God would only have it, we've already had plans and works for quite some time. You can be part of that. There are financial needs. Refugees do not come with any money. There are financial needs to get this welcome center up and going, and we're partnering with other churches because this feels like something that the church of Grand Rapids ought to do and not just Calvary Church, but the invitation is get involved. Volunteer and be part of the center. We already have refugee families that are part of Calvary Church that we're caring for their needs as they come to this country. The third way is you can get involved and you can give. If you'd like to know more about that, guess what you're going to do? Right after the service, come on down front. 
And all you got to say is, you know, that friendship center thing, that interests me. I'd like to know more about it. And you may say, I don't know that I've got a lot of money to give to that, but I've got some time. I'd like to know more about what's going on. I'd like to spend time with, 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 with what's going to be happening in that situation. Great. That's the third way to be involved. The fourth and final way to be involved. Verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. At this church, we have the first Monday of every month a prayer meeting for all the missionaries that are supported and sent out by this church. We have right now people who are doing prayer walks around our city, praying for communities to come to faith. We have prayer meetings that are going on in the community in which I live, in which we're praying regularly for people that we don't know to come to faith, and we're praying for administrators and for teachers uh, and for parents and for students uh, to come to know Jesus. There are lots and lots of opportunities for you to get involved and engage by praying for the lost. If you'd like to know more information about how to get involved in praying, come down after the service. And just simply say, you know what? The Lord has been laying something on my heart when it comes to prayer. What are the opportunities at Calvary Church where I can pray with other people for missionaries, for the gospel, for the things that are going on? Please, we would take anybody who would be willing to join us in what we're doing in East Grand Rapids where I live. We're praying desperately for people to come to faith and we're seeing amazing things happen. Come join us. Do it in your community. We've got opportunities and people who will coordinate those sorts of things. You can pray. Four things. You can share the gospel. You can assist others who are going to the mission field. You can give of your time and your talent and your treasure to be able to help this friendship center get up and going. And for the refugees that we're currently caring for at Calvary Church, you can pray. And whichever one of those God lays on your heart, come down after the service and say, number two. (laughs) Or I'd like to know more number four. Just come down and say, look, the Lord was impressing it upon my heart. Because please, hear me. Those who were not told about him will see. God will bring people to faith. I mean, look what's going on here. We just got a mission trip come back from Houston where four people came to faith, including a Muslim man that, that someone from our congregation led to faith. There are missionaries down in Houston working with refugees that we've sent down there. We had two people in our fifth and sixth grade ministry come to faith just in the past month. We, were, we lit a candle this week for someone who came to faith in the children's ministry this week. We got stuff going on in, in the community of Grand Rapids and in East Grand Rapids in particular that is jaw-dropping sorts of things. God is leading people to faith, people that I never thought would ever come to faith. You were here, some of you, for baptisms a few weeks ago, and you heard testimonies of people coming out of the craziest sort of situations and God leading them to faith. It is happening. And the point, it is going to happen because God has promised it's going to happen. And even if we're faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny the fact that he has made this promise. But the invitation to you today is not, please get involved or nothing will happen. No, the invitation is, something is happening and will happening. Why not join? Why not be part of it? Why not experience what God's doing? Listen. Paul is so fired up about what God is doing through the gospel and the way he's fulfilling this promise in Isaiah. He says, I can't talk about anything else. It's addictive. 
When you see the power of God come into somebody's life who's living in darkness or who has never heard, who's coming out of a Muslim background, that is amazing to me that this Iranian man realizes that if you begin a religion with violence, it's never going to bring peace, but that Jesus Christ says those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Who did that? The Holy Spirit did. Wouldn't you want to be part of that? Wouldn't you want to have what Tom said at the beginning of the service? What's my purpose in life? Wouldn't you like to get to the end of your life and get to eternity and show up and say, I was part of this. I saw the Lord fulfill that promise and I got to be part of it. That Muslim Friendship Center in Grand Rapids, I'm part of that. I was part of those refugees coming to be here. I prayed for those missionaries that went out. I shared the gospel with the people of the work and I tried to use my email to help them come to Jesus. Wouldn't you want that to be your story? Paul says, I don't want to talk about anything else except the fact that God is using me through the gospel to transform people's lives. Look, please. You can get to the end of the life and you can talk about your boats or your houses or your cars or your education or your accomplishments or your sports or the number of goals that you scored or what you scored on the last test or whatever. But I'm telling you, what you really are going to want to say is that because I participated in this, the Lord used me to help fulfill the fact that those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. There are very few things in life that you can be guaranteed that if you get involved in, you're going to experience success. Do you hear what God is saying? Come join me in what I'm doing and you will experience success. It doesn't mean everybody you talk to is going to come to faith. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean, but it does mean you're going to see some stuff like what's going on in Europe and your jaw is going to drop and you're going to say, what an amazing God we serve. You're going to see some stuff like what's going on at Calvary Church right now here in Grand Rapids and you're going to say, wow, that's amazing stuff. I had lunch with a couple on Thursday. It was supposed to go from noon to one. We started talking about stories about what God is up to. I think we got done at 2.30. I was like, I got I to go to another meeting. He is fulfilling this promise. Please, why not join him?